You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. The JSC is closed. It's still for another day, so it's time for the five o'clock shadow with myself, Lindsay Williams. And today I'm joined by David Shapiro from Sassfin Securities in Johannesburg. I have to start with macro today, David, because I was just mm. looking at my screen. Eurozone inflation. It's tumbled. Yeah. It was 4.3% yeah. in September. Yeah. Now, it depends which reading you look at, and I don't quite understand. They say until October, it was 2.4% annually, but through November, it's 2.9%. And it's still November, but they're obviously uh, calculating as it goes along. But nonetheless, below 3%, and officially mm. in October, below 2.5%. That's, that's a big move from 43 I, I I think it's pointing to what everybody expects going to be happening in the world next year, that inflation will start to come down. A lot has to do with uh, prices coming down. Um, simply, you know, as we rebalance, as we come out of COVID, we come out of the Ukrainian war and all the imbalances that, that it caused, I think, um, demand, or sorry, supplies catching up with demand, uh, some of the savings that uh, were given away free in, during COVID, I think, are now being spent. So uh, a lot of things are happening, which I think will point towards prices coming down. Lindsay, you know how ridiculous airfares were last year. Yeah. Uh, simply there weren't enough flights. I think they'll start to come down, and hopefully we'll see that next year, and it will prompt um, central banks to start reducing rates or at least leave them level for some time and not talk about it. So, hope, you know, th- that's the hope for next year. It's so difficult to forecast what, you know, what will happen. But I think it is be- deflation is becoming more of a story than inflation, you know, which is price, prices coming down. So, yeah, that was a surprise. Though. I haven't the, – the, the, the euro dollar same, you know, it's 109.15 here. So I don't think there was any major issue around it. I suppose I, 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 I thought it might weaken simply that they're not going to raise rates or who knows. I don't know how these currencies well, are. I, I think the fact that the oil price is now 83 and a half again. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah. people are saying, well, maybe that was too mm. much. And if mm. it has gone from 2.4% to the end of October up to an estimate of 2.9% through November, as they call it. And, and I've got this in front of me. I didn't understand it, but I think I do now. Then maybe they're saying, okay, a little bit of a once-off. Let's just, just wait and let it settle down a bit. Maybe it goes three to three and a half again. But it's still good. But on the other hand, not as good as 2.4. But, but anyway, a step in the right direction. Uh, staying overseas, David, you reminded me in our pre-podcast a chat about uh, Charlie Munger. It made, made the headlines on normal news, not just business news in the UK, certainly on the BBC. And although Buffett gets all the plaudits, and he's the one behind, um, as the Americans say, Berkshire Hathaway. You always got the feeling that Charlie Munger was also, you know, he was yeah. uh, an equal to Buffett. Oh, yeah. Oh, very smart. I, he was much smarter than Buffett. Mm. <laughs> no doubt. Um, and a lot of Buffett's uh, recent, and I'm talking when I say recent, I'm talking last 15, 20 years, a lot of the decisions and investment decisions were made, I think, were inspired by Charlie. You know, he always used to uh, kind of goad Buffett to say that, you know, what you, I'll always be right. You know, you're smart, you're, you're, you know, whenever they had a discussion. But uh, I think he generally got his way, um, Charlie Munger. And um, he was the one who took Buffett away from being uh, a proponent of uh, Benjamin Gray 
a Benjamin Graham. In other words, deep value, yes. try find bargains to saying, listen, rather buy a good company with sustainable earnings, uh, dominant businesses, you know, with pricing power, all of those things. Uh, he was the one. He loved China. He said that the Chinese are industrious, work hard, and therefore it's difficult to compete with them. He put them in. He put Buffett into BYD, which is you know the electric car company. Uh, build your dream. And they sold it out recently, but made an enormous profit on it. So, you know, just his kind of thoughts, he, I think he was ahead of Buffett in, 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 in his thinking. Uh, and very smart, you know, and dry, extremely dry, conservative person in his views. And they didn't tolerate Bitcoin, Dylan didn't tolerate accountants. Oh, he said some horrible things about Bitcoin. School. He said some terrible yeah. things about Bitcoin in the last year, I remember. And yeah, well, I suppose they said the same but thing about um, about tech. I mean, they, they wouldn't have touched um, Apple 15 no, years ago, no. but they've gradually came around. Yes, but I think it's going to take Bitcoin a lot more PR uh, to get Berkshire Hathaway involved in it. Yeah. <laughs> How old is um... he hated derivatives? You know, he just yeah. I, there was one quote I remember. You know, because they had weather derivatives. He says, you know, even if you haven't got those derivative uh, corn, what's it, wheat and corn is still going to grow. You know, it doesn't matter whether you've got derivatives or not. So they had this very simple view on life. He, you know, he used to attack uh, business schools, and I'm all I'm doing by doing this is is to expose their philosophies. You know, it's say they teach you how to value options or do derivatives at business school instead of teaching you how to identify a good company. Yeah. <laughs> Those things, so <laughs> always very entertaining. Yes, oh well, <laughs> sad yeah. loss, but I'm good. It's me, ninety nine. It's not bad. Buffett's not far behind him, is he? I mean, age wise, eighty three, uh, ninety three, ninety three. Oh, okay. He was born in nineteen thirty. Yeah. So he's 93, yeah. So it's sad. You know, their partnership was a very special one. Um, it started to – you could see Charlie getting very old towards the end. Mm. Uh, he was in a wheelchair. and and But he would still sit at the meetings, and these meetings were six, you know, six to eight hours long, and he'd eat this peanut brittle and drink Coca-Cola. Mm. You know, even the last meeting, which wasn't that far away down in May, so, uh, you know, <laughs> I, always, I always say I wonder how they could sit for so long, especially at that age, you know, not, and drink Coca-Cola and not have to go to the toilet. You know, I'm saying, hold on a sec. That really is, uh, shows their strength. Yeah, I don't know what your limit is on sitting in meetings, but mine's a lot less than six to eight hours. <laughs> David, let's have a look at the uh, JSE now, yep. Stock Exchange News Service. A couple of retailers of interest, Furniture and Food, Lewis and yep. Spa. Any highlights yep. or yep. lowlights from those two sets? Because the market seems to have received both of them quite well in different degrees. I think, I think what's happened is that the market's bargain hunting at the moment. Uh, it's 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 kind of discounted the results, and there's a view going round, and I find it you know to a lot of the people that I talk to at the moment, it's looking cheap, you know it's going to recover. Uh, no one talks about sustainability. Uh, in other words, uh, they're not looking; they're looking for a short-term bounce, and they're looking for a cheap entry point. Uh, talk about two PEs and three PEs. But if you look at, you know, if you look at both the companies, I think Spar, in my view, is an absolute disaster. You know, it might have, it might have bounced now, but it's because it's been marked down so dramatically and that. 
But when you go through it, the problems they've had introducing SAP, you know, the their the, the systems um, has caused them huge troubles. Uh, they've got problems here. They've got problems in uh, Poland. In Poland and Switzerland. I think they're only doing okay in the UK. What but about I mean, Ireland? Didn't they, didn't they have a problem uh, yeah, in Ireland? Yeah, they did as okay. Well? Oh, did they all right? Okay. They seem to be, or they're doing okay. You know, when I say doing okay, I'm not. I can't give you line for line, but but generally, I think they're under a lot of uh, uh, a lot of pressure. You know, to for for profits to be down forty seven percent, yeah, that's serious trouble. So you can't really go and buy, uh, you know, rush in and buy and say, oh, this is great. They're going to turn it around. There, there are issues there, but buyers are coming in. You know. Um, Punters are coming in, I would say, or even institutions might be coming in saying, okay, it looks cheap. But I don't find that ground, Lindsay. I think I don't find a ground in which to, uh, you know, to make big decisions, um, I, you know, to make long-term decisions. I think I know, the one that, that, that shocked me, and I think we spoke about it, was, um, was also, um, you know, Bidvest's warnings yes. about the, for, at the AGM. You read it, you say, hold on, this is a good business, and these businesses are battling. And wherever we look, it's the same thing. You know, it's additional costs of, elect, of uh, finding power. Um, it's, it's, you know, higher uh, consumers are under pressure, higher interest rates. And in Lewis's point, that was exactly it. It had to... Uh, because credit sales were up, it had to make further provisions. Um, also, their finance costs were up. You know, they do have to borrow money. And, you know, that 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 weighed on their uh, overall accounts. So I think you're seeing the same trend uh, with a lot of companies here, that um, they're holding on, but they're certainly not growing at the kind of levels that would, would you know, make you want to buy the share. Okay, so uh, neither of those have caught your eye. Well, they've caught your eye, but for I'll, the wrong reason. You, you haven't got a you haven't got a, a buying case. You're not going to sit down in a presentation no, no, and say, no, "I'm going to buy." No. I'm going to put no. put you into retailers uh, because of this system. This, no. whether it be furniture or food. Oh, no. no, you're not going to. Okay, no, all right. I don't. I, you know, I don't think you can when you read the headlines. You can't do it. And and Lindsay, I know I might be digressing, but look at the rand. Yeah. You know the rand's eighteen ninety. And, and, and we're looking at a time where interest rates in the U.S. are going down. I'm talking the bonds. Yeah, they kicked up a little today on that petrol price, and they've been stretched a little too far. You know, your, your tenure, I don't know where it is now, what's it, 434 or something. You know, this was over five at the beginning of the month or not too long ago. So it's a huge fall. But, but when we look at the RAND, I'm saying, hold on, against the dollar weakening, this you know, with a dollar weakening, you should find, um, you know, you should find the rand improving. It's 1890, and I think it's the issues. 1896, as, as we speak, and as we speak, Viv oh, Governor oh from Rand Swiss oh, has joined nice. us. Hello, Viv. <laughs> Better late than never, as they say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Viv, just to keep you updated with what we've spoken about, we launched in with macro the eurozone inflation tumbling from 4.3 percent down to below 3 percent. David's been talking a bit about two retail sets of results from the JSC, Spa and Lewis. Just maybe if you want to talk. Just, just give me, give us your thoughts on that inflation number because it is a surprise. It's not a surprise that it's down, but it's a, a surprise how big the fall was, Viv. Yes, I mean the eurozone is getting a couple of big advantages, of course, with energy. You've seen uh, natural gas prices and oil prices, you know, come down quite nicely. Apparently, the storage is quite filled up. 
which should be positive, uh, barring whatever happens in Venezuela, of course, and fingers uh, crossed we don't have another war occurring there. Um, we also have the Chinese, uh, you know, numbers, manufacturing numbers coming under pressure, showing that there isn't like excess demand in the world economy. At the same time, you know, we saw U.S. GDP numbers coming at upgraded to 5.2 percent. We saw Indian GDP numbers above 7 uh, percent, better than expected. About I think 7.6 versus 6.8 expected. It, it seems to be a Goldilocks moment. Inflation's coming down. The big economies are growing, but uh, China a little under pressure. The eurozone a little under pressure in terms of growth, but good with inflation. Uh, you know, everything looks great at the moment, quite frankly. Is this just the start? If I'll just stay with you for a second, and then David, I want to bring you yeah, in yeah, as yeah. well, because I'd love your opinion. Is this just the start? And it's a knee-jerk reaction, because people are saying, thank goodness, I thought inflation was going to be a little bit more persistent than it's, uh, it's proved to be. Uh, so let's get stuck into a few asset classes like bonds that uh, have been ignored, or rather not ignored, have been uh, blatantly uh, sold off. Or is this the start of something? We don't want it to be too spiky, uh, but you think it's maybe the start and the lows have been put in, i.e. Uh, the lows on the bonds, the highs on the yields, the low in the, the big major world indices. Viv? Look, I mean, we were having a discussion in our investment meeting earlier today at Ransworth, and, uh, you know, I was saying basically uh, my, my thing was, you know, if, if I had to choose between weak economic growth and lower interest rates, I'd choose lower interest rates for a higher market. We've shown over the last decade and a half that, you know, despite, you know, whatever else happens, if the interest rates are low enough, the market is going to rise. Uh, and we've seen, you know, I think the market right now is, is, is pricing in 90-something, almost 100% chance of a U.S. rate cut by the middle of next year. Uh, they're doing the same thing for the ECB. We see inflation numbers this low, and I think we are seeing some signs of strength in the economy, despite the U.S. GDP number coming in as strong as it has. We saw those housing numbers coming in a little depressed in terms of sales. We are seeing signs that there may be some difficulty in terms of uh, the actual economy in the U.S. Uh, and other parts of the world. Uh, I think when we do see uh, you know, interest rates start to fall, uh, even if it's on the back of weaker economic numbers and a number of other factors, Markets will rise. So if you're, if you're buying into the market when the interest rates are falling, generally things are going up, even if, like I said, the economy looks a little weaker. David, full start or the real I, thing? I, I think it's the real thing. Uh, I, don't know the, I think, you know, when we talk about Goldilocks, I think there's an underlying strength in the U.S. Uh, that you can't put your kind of thumb on, you know, you can't put your finger on, your finger on the pulse there. You can't really read it, but it's there. And I think that's what gives me, uh, you know, that, 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 that's what kind of attracts me to that market. Um, I, look, I don't know whether there was an, a manufacturing, uh, uh, some manufacturing index claim. It just flashed across my screen, but it was significantly higher in the market. Vivid might have been one of the PMIs that came out that was better. There's no reaction on the market at the moment. I think it's very stretched in the U.S., I think people have, you know, we're coming through probably one of the best Novembers ever. Uh, yes. We're going into December. I think people probably a little stretched and tired, and that's how they are. But I'm, I'm very, I'm, you know, I'm positive for next year. Um, I don't know if we're going to repeat the kind of gains that we saw on the uh, S&P and on the NASDAQ, but I think all those themes are still in place. Um, there's nothing to really suggest um, anything going sideways or downwards. If anything, you know, sentiment is pointing in the right direction. And when sentiment improves, it generally flows through or favors financial markets. You know, if people are feeling better, uh, somehow it does translate either into rates going down, I'm talking bond rates, or alternatively equity prices going up. 
So I'm certainly looking with a buyer's eye. David, can I ask a question? Right yeah. now, I'm under the impression that slightly bad news is good news. Uh, slightly weaker economic numbers, slightly higher um, unemployment would probably make this market go higher more than, for instance, a good PMI number or a good GDP number like we just come out. I think right now, if you saw like unemployment rise a little bit, if you saw, for instance, you know, some signs that there were weakness in the economy, the market would rise. It's it's still we're probably still in that view. You know, we still have to get on top of the Fed, <laughs> even though they're turning dubbers. You're right. You know, you've got to be able to influence uh, their their commentary and their uh, the way that they you know are approaching it. You've got to, in other words, you've got to trample them. Sure, that's yeah. that, that's a good point, and it might might be one of the reasons that people are just holding back a little as as you get fairly decent news. You know, I've been going through the results of quite a few businesses, and there's nothing in them that that scares me. You know, I think most most uh, CEOs are look. Yes, they come out with their cautionary. You know, they have to cover themselves like with a health warning. But I think overall, um, they're certainly looking. I think to spring out and do things and go into M and A's and do a lot more. I'm so, assuming you're talking about offshore markets, not local not companies. Yet. No, no. <laughs> we were talking about that before you came in. And, and I, you know, I, I, I was saying to Lindsay that uh, a lot of the people I'm speaking to are getting starting to get very optimistic and saying things are exceptionally cheap. That's true. They are. But there's nothing that I'm seeing in Spa's results or Lewis results or any of the results or even the update from Bitvest that, that, that makes me excited. You know, there are too many warnings there. And even the RAND at 1890-something now is starting to reflect some of the underlying cracks in the system. So, you know, I'm, not, uh, I'm still very reluctant. I still remain very cautious, other than maybe taking a trading punt. But I'm not, you know, I only do that in games. I don't really do it in reality. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Never figured you as a gamer. But anyway, I focus too much on the Eurozone. Also, the excessive inflation as measured by personal spending increased in line with expectations in October in the States, possibly giving the Fed more incentive to hold rates steady and perhaps start cutting in 2024, according to a data released today. Personal consumption expenditure price index, excluding food and energy, was 0.2% for the month and 3.5% a year on year. And uh, the Fed likes that, apparently. But on the other hand, I've got this figure. So everything's nice and rosy in the garden. But I get this statistic coming out, popping up, saying pending home sales in the United States are worse now at their lowest level, even since uh, during, or rather during the global financial crisis of 2008. So they've gone lower than 2008. So people are not buying houses. But surely there should be now with interest rates falling. I don't know. Maybe it's a lagging indicator, David. They've had a wonderful explanation for that. And I think that Go was on. On, on rates. That I, I hope it was you that said, you know, mm-hmm. because you don't, because rates have gone up, you don't want to sell your mortgage now. Yeah. In other words, you don't want to sell your house now and yes. go buy another one. Ah, exactly. That's I, interesting. Yeah, I did say that. Others about also just said, yeah. Look, I mean, with mortgage rates as they are right now, if you basically have a like a three percent or something, why do you, would you want to go and get something close to like a seven out there in the world right now? Because of the higher interest rate, it just doesn't make sense. The interesting thing is that yes, the reason that people are buying right now is because obviously the the supply is limited, but also you know who wants to take on that seven percent right now at, at the moment? Mm-hmm. In the in the in the you know financial crisis, yes, people were you know, scared and whatever, but you know 
you, you were getting really great deals compared to what they are right at the moment. Uh, but th- this is one of the things I do think is, is is a sign of danger in the economy. When you do see, you know, housing, uh, you know, prices under pressure like this here, I mean, people are not going to be, um, uh, how can I say, uh, this is one of the key indicators of the, of the health of the economy. The fact that you can't see sales going through is is a warning sign, I think, for the U.S. economy. And we could remember, as economists, there's always that that monetary policy lag, which means that somewhere between, say, 10, 9 months and 30 months is when you feel the effect of any interest rate hike or interest rate drop. And that could mean that we're only going to be seeing some of the interest rate hikes from last year affecting us next year. You know what I mean? So that could be mm-hmm. something indicating that there's still dangers ahead for the economy. Yes. Anyway, let's just reflect. It's uh, November the 30th, tomorrow, the beginning of the last month of 2023. November was the best month of the year um, so far. It broke the three-month-long losing streak on Wall Street. And, um, yeah, hopefully it it delivers again in December. I I doubt if it'll manage those percentage gains, but um, let's hope it, as I say, stays steady. Let's have a look at the markets now, where the dollar rand is 1890, and that's a dollar gain of nearly 1%. British pound against the rand, 23.90. The pound has gained half a percent. And the euro is 0.4% better against the rand at 20.63. With the euro dollar, 109.15. This week it's been through 110. So the euro actually weakening against the dollar, which is a little bit strange. Well, maybe not with the inflation rate. Anyway, who knows? Gold price? Off a little bit. It's off $11 to 2035 after a terrific few days. Platinum is up four, nothing there, 931. And palladium down four at $10.35 an ounce. The real commodity news is on the energy board Mm -hmm. where West Texas crude is $79.06 per barrel, up 1.5%. And Brent crude oil, $83.85. Has been through 84 on a few occasions, but keeps dipping back. And that's a 1.1% gain. Uh, other commodities, nah, not much there at all. The bond markets, fantastic day yesterday. Just giving back a bit now. 4.35, the US 10-year was below 4.30. The South African 10-year, still below 10, but um, pushing 10, just about 9.98% at the moment. S&P 500 futures, just taking it all in, just up a touch. I mean, when I say a touch, three points. The December futures, 4,562 Bitcoin 37,600 odd, down half a percent. And uh, yeah, that's it. We've got to look, David, at the movers on the JSE. We've spoken about Lewis. We've spoken about Spa. What are, what are people liking and hating? Mm. The market came down towards the end. It could have been on the oil price. In fact, in the closing auction, we were close to a percent up. We ended down, I'm just saying up 0.39% at 75534. And along the way, it just uh, it, it just turned everything upside down. So it's probably in the middle, even though we're in, in green. When I look at the number of gainers versus losers, I think it's probably 50-50. But um, on, the, on the gainers, uh, I've got Alphaman, which is the tin mine somewhere in the Congo, up 6.4%. Textainer, which is actually going to be taken off the market, up 4%. Uh, there's a bid for it. Bites up at, uh, I think this is a new high, up 3.6%. Quilter, the next one. I mean, these are all, it's a disparate bunch. You know, there's no real trend amongst them. You know, Quilter up 3%. Process up 2%. And uh, um, Fortress Real Estate up uh, 1.9%. Those are my gainers on the day. 
and uh, yeah, well, I'll go with the I, losers now. I've got I mean, Carew, yeah. I, I don't know whether to ever, ever talk about this because one day it's up, up 7%, the next day it's down 10%. Uh, Telcom, and you know something? I yeah. want to tell you something there. I need to tell you this. Go on, it's on nine shares. Nine shares. down 10% on nine. I'll, I'll repeat that N I N E, nine shares. What's so it doing listed? 4,000. Why is it listed? Why, uh, how you know, you how can saying, this thing and, be on an exchange? Nine shares. Well, I don't know. Nine shares in the closing auction at five past five went through at taking the shares price down 10%. Throughout the day, there was absolutely zero trade. So I think, you know, that's 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 the JSC. So when you see 10% down, understand what drove well, it down. Well, it's also, yeah. I don't know about you, Viv, but I think if, if a company is, is grinding to a halt on the JSC, they're doing a disservice to their shareholders because no one can get in, no one can get out, and they should say, right, we're, we're, we're delisting now and we'll, we'll pay you out. Um, because what's the point, Viv? I mean, this is, is, am I being over overcritical here? No, you're not. I mean, look, it's obviously a, a sign of bad health when you have a share, you know, moves so, you know, slowly. <laughs> but, I mean, it, 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 is, it is obviously a sign also that the... The excitement in the South African market, I mean, David is, I can say, like, historically, even though he's pessimistic at the moment, one of the most positive people on South Africa that I know in the market. It's not like a, a I think, like, you know, an exaggeration to say that. And when he gets negative on, on the market, then you know that there's something wrong. And and, and, and it's been, he's <laughs> been negative for the last few months and the last little while. And, it's, and, and, I, and I agree with him. It's uh, The GSE is under pressure. And the fact of the matter is this. It, it doesn't just affect the, the, the investors out there. The functioning capital market, I mean, the capital markets of a country are one of the ways in which a country becomes you know, wealthier. That's why it's called capitalism, you know what I mean? Um, you don't have this functioning capital market. You can't raise money as a new company. You can't grow the economy. You can't have new ideas come to market. You know what I mean? Mm. And this is a this is a danger beyond just the fact that you know m- me and David can't buy and sell shares as easily as we did in the past, or we don't see stock prices rise. It's the fact that a new person with a brilliant new idea can't go and realistically raise money on this market and expect to basically start a new enterprise with capital from South Africa. They would have to look overseas, unfortunately. Okay, well said. Uh, yeah. Other shares on the downside: Telcom down four and a half percent, PH Prop down four point three, Truist is a three point three percent loser, and Oceana down around about 3%. David, closing indices on the JSE, please. And value traded. Okay, I'll give you the value trader because I'm going to hit that button first. Uh, oh, they, they must have been rebalancing today. Okay. Uh, it's quite high. So I think the MSCI balances. So there's 38.5 plus. It's, it's close to 40 billion with NASPER 17.4% of that 6.7 billion trade there. Yeah. Growth point. I don't know I don't know whether growth point's been kicked out of it or brought in. I don't know. But uh, I see that's 4.2 billion, so 11%. So I think these are volumes which, which don't happen often and just simply because of rebalancing uh, that we have there. But nevertheless, I'll go back to the to the indices, uh, the all share up 0.39%, so 75534. Um, resources up 0.22%. And I think there again, the resource 10, I think that Amplatz is going out and Harmony coming in, if I read correctly, somewhere on a notice. So that was up 0.22%. But 
nothing really happening in the mining side of it as well. Uh, the industrial, sorry, the financial index up 0.11%. Again, not many movements on either side. And the industrial 25 up 0.81%. So I think that kind of covers it. Property up a quarter percent. So um, at the end of the day, a lot of noise for very little movement. Okay. Well, Other than the ones that we spoke about. Thank you for that. And yeah, it's pretty quiet in the United States as well. I want to ask, ask both of you, did either of you see Elon Musk's interview with the New York Times, which was televised and was live? Did anyone see yes. that? Yeah, just just to put it into picture, he's just employed at X a new CEO, a woman who was charged with getting advertisers back. And to make her job nice and easy, he goes on the New York Times um, the chat show and he says that advertisers are going to kill X. And he said Advert- advertisers can go and F themselves. And he said this. <laughs> and I think... <laughs> I think, what are you trying to do here? Is this a, are you trying to lose, are you trying to destroy the company? But, but Viv, you, you saw him say that. And the CEO's trying to get advertisers in and he's driving them away again. He's a nutter. Yeah, look, I mean, but, but here's, here's the part that, 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 that you, to explain his behavior, he says he tried to blackmail me with money, really. And that's the thing. He, he, he the ex, oh yes, it's $44 billion. Okay. Mm-hmm. To any double human being, any abnormal human being, except for maybe five or six people on the entire planet, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But he happens to be one of those five or six billion for which that is not a lot of money. You know what I mean? Uh, you, once you get to like, you know, the tens of billions, I mean, Jeff Bezos just would have spent, I think, 50 billion building a clock to last 10,000 years. Why? That is just like madness. When you have too much money, what ways to spend it? Yeah. And I think Elon Musk prefers to be looked at as being cool by a Joe Rogan or cool by the people that he's around. You know, th- this is going to be memed for like years. It's going to be Elon Musk saying, if you and you're calling out Bob Iger in the audience. I think to, in his mind, I mean, that's worth a couple of tens of billions of dollars yeah. because, you know, it, it, it makes 20, 30, 50, 100 billion dollars really makes no difference to his lifestyle at all. It doesn't even affect the things he really cares about, which is probably SpaceX yeah. and Tesla, you know. And uh, so, yeah, 44 billion is a lot of money. Yes, I, I feel for that lady, uh, Linda Yakarina, I think her name is. Uh, she's gotten in and she's got to, you know, do something about a company like, you know, uh, Twitter that or X that probably is not going to be financially viable. Uh, I doubt that he's actually going to let it go bankrupt. Uh, it doesn't cost that much to basically run it a couple billion a year, I think, to uh, even to service the cost of the, the the debt and to run it and so on. It's 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 literally pocket change to him, and probably he's just for the notoriety of having it is going to keep it going. Uh, but yeah, uh, it it really is a case of what that he said. Money does not matter to him at that level. You can't affect his decision making by just saying you're going to make or lose money. So that's that's his that's explains Elon Musk at the moment. Okay, and just the final word on uh, David because he has some very personal opinions about Elon Musk's about Musk. But uh, I, I think it would have to be we'd have to have a couple of bleeps uh, when his answer does come out. You're not a big fan, David. No, no. You know what? I don't take anything away from his genius, but his character. You know, we were talking. Um, we were talking about Charlie Munger and um, you know and uh, uh, Warren Buffett just during the show. And I think when you compare the ethics of those kind of people, you know, and um, and you compare it with who Musk is, um, it just shows you and identifies the different characters. I just. I just, you know, I, he can make money. He can do well. He's a genius when it comes to 
manufacturing, but uh, I, could, I can't invest in him. You know what I mean? Mm. Just simply because of the nature of the person. Okay, well, well said. Uh, good and stick to those uh, principles. Gentlemen, thank uh, you very uh. much for your time this evening. David Shapiro is from Sassman Securities. Viv Govender is from Rand Swiss. And that was the five o'clock shadow. Hopefully back next week. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.